Hi, I'm Delphine Pease from the Contextual Safeguarding Team, and I'm with Lucy Nell Taylor, who is the London Programme Manager of Red Thread. Red Thread is a charity that supports young people who have been victims of serious youth violence. And in this podcast, Lucy will share with us how Red Thread is using contextual safeguarding and the difference it has made to their work. So hi, Lucy. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Could you uh, start by briefly introducing yourself and give us a brief overview of what Red Thread does? Okay, cool. So um, I'm Lucy. I um, am a programme manager, so I oversee the livery um, of our projects across London, um, but with a particular interest in practice development. So I have been at Red Thread for three years. The first two years I was in frontline practice at, um, in South London, and now I oversee work across South London, but also um, a newer project in Hackney. So we um, read we read thread position specialist youth workers in health settings, most commonly emergency departments, but not always. Some of our teams operate in um, sort of clinics and sexual health, and indeed in primary care. So we have a GP. Um, service in in one of the South London boroughs. The reason that we're in health is that we are endeavouring to meet young people in moments of crisis, so in moments where they've experienced some kind of harm. Mm-hmm. Um, broadly, we see a, a huge range actually of harm. So we see young people in major trauma centres who've been stabbed or had really serious other assaults. We also see lots of criminal exploitation sexual exploitation um, and other kind of um, sexual assault, domestic abuse, self-harm, overdose, suicidality, and occasionally, but really significantly, very interestingly, um, young people who present with psychosomatic illness or who are unwell because of the kind of scary things that are happening to them. Um, So we meet young people in, in that medical setting. We do an initial assessment there, and then we do casework in the community. So we have a kind of a a staged consent model where when we first meet you we're just getting you to consent to having a conversation with us it doesn't have to you know it's not contractual it doesn't go beyond that our first sort of safety planning questions are are you going to be safe to go home and if not what do we need to do right now to make sure that you have somewhere safe to go um, and then once we're working with young people beyond that if in, if they consent to that you know in the community that work can look like an ongoing piece of mentoring can look like um, getting young people rehoused, getting them access to therapeutic services, getting them back into education or into work, all kinds of things. Um, so there's lots of contextual and relational stuff, kind of work that we do that exists both concurrently with us meeting them and then subsequently in, in the casework. So we meet lots and lots of young people where we're able to really think about with them what is going on in your life and how can we make that those spaces a bit safer great thank you and so what difference do you think contextual safeguarding could make to this work so i think what difference could it make what difference is it already making um we all of our teams because we meet young people after an incident of harm you know some significant harm or some harm has already occurred we're really focusing on um, preventing escalation or risk of further harm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to that end, we've always asked young people um, and their networks with their consent, who else around them 
who else in their peer group, in their family, in their household, in their community could be affected by the harm that they've experienced in this instance. So we have always thought about the kind of ripple effect of whatever incident the young person we're meeting has, what the ripple effect of that is. Um, but I think having, a, as we've begun to develop a, a more nuanced understanding of, understanding of contextual safeguarding, specifically the tools, um, we, have, we are becoming much more skilled at um, mapping. So it's kind of one of the, the, the major tools that we have acquired or begun to graft in is going along the lines of quite traditional risk of harm kind of questions. We are being able to find out about other young, through the young person we're meeting about other young people and about the spaces where that harm is happening. Um, so we're able to map peer groups and work with the relevant statutory agencies to safeguard the whole group. So I think just having this kind of more holistic lens of not just working with a young person where something has happened to them, but working with their peer group or their year group or their family um, to really try and unpick the extra familial stuff rather than just a more traditional kind of what is going on at home, what is going on at school. Um, so I think it make, it can make, it is making a huge difference for us um, just by letting us have a kind of a broader a broader understanding of what is happening in young people's lives and how we might affect change in each of those spheres. Mm. And can you give us some examples of how you are using some of these contextual approaches? Yeah, sure. So um, our youth workers have in the last probably six months started to use, um, well, initially we're using a really basic geographical map so in London a borough map um, and in our projects outside of London often a um, kind of zoomed in area or looking at whole counties sometimes depending on what's most relevant for the young person um, and then again in London sometimes we're using multiple borough maps depending on where the harm has occurred in relation to where they live so we might print off a, a physical map of I don't know three different boroughs one where the young person lives one where they go to school and one where they were harmed um, and our focus there is is to explore and map those spaces um, to uh, which allows us to develop a much more meaningful and bespoke safety plan mm. so by using geographic mapping we're able to get a much better understanding of kind of anchor points for young people and where they might seek safety and although it feels like a really simple exercise just doing that that physical mapping um facilitates conversations between the young person and the practitioner that allows them to allows a practitioner to really inhabit that young person's life that kind of lived experience so we are using maps um at the earliest or sort of most practicable opportunity with young people and then continuing to do that through um, the casework so those maps often become a sort of live document that are revisited and added to as the, as the piece of casework continues um, we've also started using the all around me exercise um, so are thinking about again kind of what what is happening who exists what spheres a young person occupies um, and think about how we can make those safer and then in London um, working in Hackney we sit on a number of um, kind of local authority panels notably 
um, an extra familial risk panel where we're able to really actively kind of help other agencies cross-reference spaces that feel that are safe or, or, or flagging as unsafe for young people and address that in a more systemic way. Um, outside of London, in one of our projects in Nottingham, for young people who go on to have a kind of a longer term piece of community-based casework, um, the team are starting to do a kind of walk around. So often they'll be with young people in the spaces they live or perhaps even the space that they were harmed or, or um, kind of that area. And they're aiming to reacquaint the young person with the spaces they identify as feeling safe so literally walking around the streets with them and saying and if you know you were here and you needed to go somewhere show me around you know if you needed to go somewhere safe where would that be take me to the places that you feel safe take me to the places you enjoy spending time take me to the places you would be willing to take other people or the sort of thinking about markers and safe havens um, and so as a kind of a case study exactly in in Nottingham one of my colleagues um, did one of these kind of walk around pieces of work with a young man who, a very young man, a 13 year old, who um, had had a really frightening um, assault and, and robbery actually. So following the incident didn't have phone um, and his family were not able to afford to replace that phone. So they were saying, you know, he's really young, he hasn't got a phone, we don't actually want him going out at all and we're going to drive him to and from school. Um, and as a network, they there was lots of discussion about it would actually be really important for this young man to get some autonomy back and that he wanted to be out and about in the community, but we just needed to find a way to make that safe. So the Red Thread Youth Worker walked the journey to and from school with him and helped him to identify his safe spaces along the way. So this young person pointed out multiple addresses that he then was willing to take the youth worker into and, you know, say, this is my auntie's house and this is my friend's mum's house and this is my... So identifying those markers along the route where he could seek safety or just stop off and call his mum and say, you know, I'm just at so-and-so's, I'm going to be on my way home. Um, and also, I guess, concurrently having a conversation about the places that were perhaps less safe or what his kind of planning would be if on that route something happened so really inhabiting that space with him and helping him and by proxy then helping his family to feel a bit less worried about him being out in the community mm. and kind of move around in a safe way which then gave him a little bit of his autonomy back and he says made him feel like he was more able to essentially recover from what had happened um so yeah, I think we're we're doing lots of little bits at the moment and would really like to continue to develop that. Um, and are really interested actually in always asking young people whether or not it feels useful. We get lots of feedback from young people about this kind of safety mapping and I think we're learning as we as we go along really. Brilliant. That's really, really interesting work. Um and are you, do you have any sort of key learning that you'd like to share um, at beginning to emerge from using these approaches or has it made you think in new ways about the way you work with young people or yeah certainly um i think kind of our the top line or the the most common things that that i hear from colleagues who are trying out these techniques um well the most important one for me um is that 
young people tell us they find safety mapping particularly useful but they also find it really curious um and often will their first kind of when the youth worker says oh how, why don't you just show me on a map young people might even be a bit kind of might laugh or be a bit baffled and say why do you want to do that but then what they often will tell us is that no one's actually asked me this stuff before um, nobody's asked me to like draw it on a map and use coloured pens and map out the route or walk show me the actual route and so that I think is really interesting that perhaps it speaks to a gap that we all um, had not we'd not been working in that particular space um, and I mean if young people were telling us that it didn't feel useful and it was intrusive then obviously we wouldn't be wanting to continue to do it but overwhelmingly they're saying this is actually really cool and it helps me to think um, and youth workers say that they find it really useful in thinking about um, relational referrals or even signposting because they sort of have in their head although they don't want it to sort of um, feed into that some spaces are not as safe as others they want to address that but you know if a young if a youth worker is trying to identify a sports provision for example for a young person they can have a really good sense of where that would be best where it'd be best to even look um, so the young person doesn't end up being sent somewhere that they've already identified as not being a safe space for them at that time mm -hmm. so overwhelmingly it's useful um, we also I think have started to really think about which perhaps we haven't thought about before um how we can share safety plans and and um kind of hot spots or map mapping pieces of mapping work um with young people's networks we always want to do that with their consent um and there have been scenarios where we have with a young person brought say a safety map to a child in need review and the young person has talked it through in the sort of segment of the meeting that they're allowed to be in um and other professionals have said that also they that perhaps they hadn't thought about actually doing it on a map and it's really useful to see and it helps that young person to be the expert and talk as you know as the expert in their own lives um and i guess from that that then helps us to identify other agencies who are working in similar ways or perhaps who aren't um, and allows us to think about what relationships we need to better develop or scaffold to ensure that the information that we're managing together is shared most effectively in order to affect change so it might be that in a particular you know one of the boroughs we're working we need to think about how to ensure that um, a park that comes up over and over again in mapping can can be um, passed on to the relevant agency who might be safer neighborhoods police or who might be i don't know the parks and recreation people at the council um but just i think it helps us to think about where does this information need to go in order to to be to be most effective um and i guess the other more thematic thing is that when we looked through the kind of safety mapping and safety plans um, over a three-month period we noticed that young people's which i think is fascinating and something that we really need to delve into a bit more we noticed that young people's perceptions of safe spaces often shift which is to be expected that it would change over time um, but interestingly young people name fewer safe spaces after they leave hospital or after they've been harmed so i would have thought or one might expect but having had some time to reflect on this thing that happened to you on that particular street um 
that the young person might be a bit more risk averse or sort of a bit more susceptible to feeling unsafe um what we're and therefore identify lots and lots of unsafe spaces because you know something has happened now and i guess we anticipated young people after an incident of harm even just in the following weeks saying do you know what actually i'm i'm just going to stay in but what we see conversely is that young people appear to report feeling safer post-harm so they're harmed and then they say actually do you know what it's already happened so I wasn't going to go to that particular estate but now I don't I'm not really even that bothered because harm has already occurred mm, interesting I think interesting but scary actually and I wonder if there's an element of relativity to that a kind of a you know the thing that I was dreading has already happened maybe maybe there is um a kind of <sighs> something about trauma processing or maybe just a bit of bravado that the first time you do a safety map with a young person perhaps they underestimate or I don't know it's it's an interesting thing that I would like to understand we would all like to understand more um you know how accurately are young people able to identify and then and then report safe and unsafe spaces immediately after an incident of harm some weeks after some months after what sort of change should or shift should we expect should we expect young people to feel safer as time goes on or should we expect them to feel un more unsafe as time goes on it's just an interesting mm. observation and we are so so very so very much at the beginning of our journey of doing this that you know i wouldn't expect us or anybody to have an answer to that yet but it's just something that we've observed that's really interesting mm. no that's definitely a very interesting point to keep in mind for all those conducting safety mapping with young people mm. and it'd be interesting to see as well from other practitioners and other sectors whether they find similar similar mm. relations mm. um and so you're, you're developing such exciting new work how would you like to continue to take this work forward Okay, so what are we going to do, try and do next? Yeah. <laughs> um, so a couple of things, I guess. Um, like everybody, um, the work, just, just doing direct work with young people can take up a huge amount of space and not leave much for um, kind of aspirational practice development. Um, as much as we all try and carve that out, we are, however... Red Thread as an organisation are just in the very early stages of um, conducting a complete review, holistic review of our risk assessment. So every young person we meet um, is, is subject to this, this risk assessment that incorporates elements of kind of um, criminal justice, social care, traditional youth work. But we're really looking at trying to identify what are we worried about? How are we mitigating that? What part does the young person play in that? What part does the um, do other agencies play and kind of putting together an action plan so that is a bespoke tool that we designed um, specifically for our work just over a year ago and we're now reviewing that very kindly with some um, specialist consultation from contextual safeguarding colleagues um, so a lot of that is trying to incorporate some broader questions that allow us to think 
outside of this individual young person whilst of course holding them at the heart of all of what we're doing and um, but perhaps um prompting our staff to think more about the spaces that young person occupies um and really just to elicit better quality information to help us to safeguard them and um, some of that is about our kind of reflective stance that we take when assessing and a lot of it is about language so having really inclusive non-heteronormative appropriate language that allows us to invite young people to tell us whatever they need to in assessment so that we can really get into the, the kind of the detail of what is happening in their day-to-day -day lives that I think sometimes can get missed in you know standard risk assessments or standard assessment tools um, and then the other piece of work that we've that we're perhaps a little bit further on with actually but it's continual um is beginning to share our learning in in ways like this in in podcasts um in going and talking to colleagues who are doing similar work but also in targeted training so um we have been doing bits of delivery have been commissioned in fact to do bits of delivery all over london um, specifically to community-based youth workers so who are doing a slightly different role to us but absolutely working with the same young people um, and to a small number of safer neighborhood officers and um, local local kind of police teams um, and as part of that training we have been suggesting a number of the contextual safeguarding tools that we are using and walking colleagues through how we use them um, particularly we have talked about using safety maps so as an example we recently delivered um some training to a, a number of youth workers actually in westminster um and a lot of those community youth workers had not heard about or thought about or just had the chance perhaps to think about um kind of the geography that their young people exist in um and so we spent a couple of hours in in a two-day training walking them through how we do safety mapping what that means what we do with you know the the information that it yields um, and how we're able to then incorporate that into dynamic safety planning for young people um, and the feedback from that was really really good because i think it's just important that we're all sharing what we're learning even if we're only just trying it out um, because as much as possible if we're all doing the same thing then young people are getting a consistent message that we want them to be safe wherever they are um, so yeah, there's kind of two strains, I guess. One is reviewing our internal, how do we capture the right stuff? Um, and the other is, is sharing that learning as widely as we possibly can with no kind of ego and just saying we're, we're trying this out and we think it's good and young people think it's good. So give it a go and tell us what you think. Mm. Great. Thank you so much, Lucy. I mean, it's so exciting and inspiring to hear about all the work you've been doing. Um, and we're certainly keen to keep learning alongside you and to share learning. Please do share your learning because it's so, so useful to all our network members. And we wish you all the best for future developments. Thank you. Very kind. Thank you.